We all want to get on the roller coaster. Sure, I guess if you were a particular type of person, you could skirt the rules and jump the queue. But then you're risking all sorts of ethical and practical troubles. It can be pretty unpleasant standing in the hot sun, sweat dripping off your brow, regretting your decision just to find amusement. In the end, you get to go on a roller coaster, and for most folks, that's a fun time. But what if it isn't all that it's cracked up to be? What if you could have someone wait in line for you? Meet the sales development representative, or business development representative, one of the unsung heroes of B2B SaaS. In the sales cycle, they're the ones waiting in line trying to figure out which customers are best fits for account executives to close. It's sort of a rite of passage. Unfortunately, it's oftentimes a pretty thankless job. And while it's by no means a matter of life and death, it can at times be as unpleasant as that sweltering wait in the unshaded queue. Today's guest, Lars Nilsson, knows a thing or two about what it takes to get the most out of your sales development team, especially the human element that way too many can gloss over. In this episode, Lars Nilsson gives us a crash course on sales training, onboarding and enablement, and an inside look on how he personally mentors sales teams and transforms them into sales sharks, even those that come from zero sales backgrounds. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Paddle CSO Patrick Campbell interviews Lars Nilsson about sales development. We talk about zeroing in on sales roles, hiring someone with a fire in their belly, SDR training, enablement, and progression, setting up sales opportunities for success, and the value of compassionate leadership. Timestamps to each section are listed in the show notes. And after you finish the episode, check out the in-depth field guide that'll help you accomplish your sales development goals. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so <laughs> um, it's interesting. I'm speaking here tomorrow and I'm actually a little bit nervous. Uh, nervous? Well, oh, no. we haven't been out in real life in front of each other That's for true. years. And so getting up in front of a couple hundred people. But anyway, uh, name is Lars Nilsson. I'm currently the VP of Global Sales Development at Snowflake. Um, I am a career sales development leader. Um, this is my fifth go around as an operator going into a company and building out sales development. I've done it four times previous. I love doing it. Really, uh, development and onboarding and training and, and, and mentorship and, you know, taking maybe earlier, younger people in their career and teaching them something and have them create providership and, and uh, you know, results. Uh, I, I love doing it. So I've been doing it for 25 years here in startup, venture-backed, B2B technology companies. And I would argue you're at the company. I'll say that. The company. As we just found out, the only company Kramer still wants to invest in or talks about, at least tech company. But before we get into like deep on that, because I think that'd be really interesting, not only like you, but also like you at Snowflake, which is, you know, as I'm saying, the company, like how did we get there, right? You know, I know you kind of split time between California, split time between Europe growing up, but like take us back. Like what, what, what's the background of Lars here for those that don't know you? Yeah, so I did. I spent the first 18 years traveling back and forth, uh, four months in Sweden, eight months in Southern California. Parents emigrated, dad worked for Scandinavian Airlines. And so it was easy and free to go back and forth. And, and so it's a big part of my life, my culture. I carry two passports. I speak uh, Swedish. 
went to college in uh, Santa Barbara went to, and Gaucho. And I got my first job out of college with Xerox Corporation. And um, many have probably heard that name. But back in the 70s and 80s, there were two companies known for developing, onboarding, training their kind of uh, college-aged new hires. Um, and I had heard from mentors that, listen, Lars, if you're going to go out into the world and start your career, get trained, get developed, uh, learn something that you can put in your bag because selling is something that regardless of what you end up doing, it, you're going to end up being able to use it, you know, presenting, handling objections, negotiating, right? Closing. Um, so that made sense. And I went through on-campus interviews and just decided that I was going to get this job. And so I did. I, I, you know, started my career at Xerox Corporation as a 23-year-old, and I went through an 11-month onboarding and training. And they sent me to different centers around the world, not not world, around the United States sure, sure. to learn all these skills. And so, you know, to teach someone how to sell, rinse and repeat all day long. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned over the years in building my own teams is what you can't teach. And that's what I look for in candidates that want to come work for me. And I call it fire in the belly. Okay. And it's this self-starter, self-motivator attitude and mentality that I think you get from your family, your upbringing, and I also think you get it from your peer group as you're going through high school and college, right? You've probably heard it said that you are the average of your five closest friends. Um, anyway, what I want to do is I want to take people that want to change their careers and go into sales or take them out of school uh, at a young age when they graduate and teach them uh, how to qualify, how to prospect, how to, how to sell. And those are the, the people that I want on my team. So it's this kind of fire in the belly. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's get into that for a second. So maybe just take a little bit of a step back, like sales development. Like, are we talking about SDRs, BDRs? What's the difference of that? Like, is that the DG function? Like, how, what do you define this as just so we can like define the scope here? Yeah. So I, I mean, it's a prospect. It's a non, it's a non quota carrying. Uh, these younger sales professionals are not retiring quota and generating revenue for the company, they're doing something, in my opinion, way more important. Um, and that is they are serving up the first connection and touch point that a sales rep is going to have with a prospect. And so the reps who carry the title sales development rep, business development rep, account development rep, or lead development rep, they're all flavors of the same thing. We are both inbound and outbound prospectors. Uh, we have comp plans that are that drive us to set up that first meeting. Turns out that the hardest part of closing any deal is finding it. Yeah. You don't have something to work on, you're not going to get to the finish line. And uh, what's been proven in B2B SaaS, and I think it was proven out for sure at Salesforce.com, and they rotated very deliberately to the SDR, BDR model. And it turns out that if you onboard, enable, and train an SDR the right way, they can fill the pipeline of up to three reps with the meetings that they... And so the, just the unit economics, the efficiency, the profitability of creating pipeline so that the sellers, you want them selling, negotiating, and closing. You don't want them prospecting. That's downtime. Turns out that they're just not as good at it as an SDR because as soon as they get a bite... And a deal that they think they can close, they start selling yeah. and they stop prospecting. 
And you can never stop the motion. Once you start prospecting, you can never stop it. And the role uh, of the SDR is to make sure that they can throw 100, 1,000 lines in the water. And if there's a bite, they know how to attend to that pole and hand it off to a seller that is sitting there waiting um, and can take it to the next level and progress it through the uh, sales cycle. So three to one, that's what we're looking for. Three A's to one. So before we get to onboarding, it's finding them or, you know, identifying who's great. And you kind of alluded to right there, the fire in the belly. Like, how do you test that? Is it just the conversations you're having? Do you have a key set of couple of questions you ask folks? Yeah, well, there's a few ways. But if I'm looking at a, at a LinkedIn profile sure. from, a, let's say, a university graduate, I'm looking for what do they do during their summers? Right. You go into college, you're 18, you're an adult. You spend the next four years educating yourself, give or take. But are you going home and hanging out on the couch in mom and dad's house with nothing to show for it? Or did you have a job as a summer camp counselor? Did you have an internship at Salesforce.com? Were you taking care of an aging mother? Um, What were you doing that summer? And if you have nothing to show for one, two, or all four years, then odds are that that self-motivator, that self-starter mentality isn't there. People with high GPAs and athletes, right, they've been competing against themselves and others most of their career. That's an easy one. But we've had a, a lot of success in hiring teachers and returning military veterans and other people that just never thought that sales could be for them. And one of the things I ask them there, you know, when Denise is not doing this, you know, what is she doing uh, on the weekends? What is she doing outside of uh, what it is work? I want to see that there's active participation in life, in the economy, in family. This day and age, there's a lot of things that can sideline you uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. And so, you know, you're looking for strength of body, spirit, and mind. And uh, there, yeah, there are, I mean, track record of, uh, you know, a story that you can articulate that makes sense as to why there may be holes or not. Uh, I just want to hear your story and I want it to make sense. And I want there to be a little bit of uh, vulnerability. Um, And I want there to be definitely authenticity. But, you know, chemistry is something that happens when two people come together and start sharing. I will take someone and let them know that I will develop them. I will mentor them. I will give them the skills. But in return, I want that energy. I want, because, you know, when you go into sales, there is a performance-based cultural part of it, right? When you're going into a venture-backed startup like Snowflake, uh, right, we have weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly numbers to hit. And you have to come in understanding that that is the disposition of the company. That, uh, you know, we're only as good as the pipeline we're building so that we can uh, take those deals and close them at a predictable rate and grow the company. And you have to be on board with the sacrifices you might have to make uh, to make sure you show up um, every day, all day. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting there. So, like, if I kind of summarize that fire in the belly. So people are competitive or have been competitive or are taking initiative, right? Either, because it could be learning. It could be, oh, they got four internships, nothing to do with business or sales, but like they took those initiatives during the summer, right? Um, Or, you know, 
we're having a conversation in the interview process, like I had to pay myself through school. Therefore, I was working construction, but I still was doing something, right? There's a narrative, there's a story, and I'm feeling it. Uh, And that is, uh, I I love those stories. Well, I think the teachers and the the military folks, there's there's an element of both initiative and like having your stuff together because you kind of have to on multiple levels or you're ordered to in certain cases. And so I think that's a really good archetype to kind of find. And it sounds like a lot of us, we like fish for, you know, the kid out of school salesperson, but it sounds like you've gone to, that's great, but we also need to fish for people who haven't really thought of sales as a role because of preconceived notions or lack of confidence. And that's something that you can like bring in mentorship. Is that like a good summary you think of that? It would be. And I think what you're hitting on is instead of looking for a track record of success and exactly the position that I'm looking to look for potential. Sure. Um, and there are lots of people that based on whatever has happened in their life, you know, and they may find their calling later. They may have had something that happened. But again, if you hire for what you truly believe, that potential that resides within that person and you can get it out. And again, that's why I do think mentorship and leadership and active management, because when people are coming into this role, I mean, there's a lot of technology that comes to bear. There's a lot of process. There's a lot of procedure. And you know, at the end of the day, you're ripping dials and you're sending out emails, right? Hundreds of dials a day, thousands of emails uh, may be sent out a day through sales engagement. And that energy, I mean, that it, it's, it's one of the hardest jobs in sales. And you ask anyone, when you're sitting on an SDR, BDR role at a quick paced, high growth SaaS company, you got to show up every day. Um, and what I do is if you're not feeling it, I'd rather have you stay home, opt out that day. If you're not feeling it, um, and again, you're going through something, take the time you need to get right. Because when you we need you in, 100%, yeah. I need you, I, I need you, yeah. It's a really subtle thing that you just said there too that I don't think you might not because you're, you're in it. You said hundreds of dials a day, thousands of emails through enablement and stuff like that. You naturally just set a number I bet is probably 10x what the expectation of other teams are, at least when I've heard of people like talking about things. So that's also an interesting thing where you're talking about all this support, but your numbers are probably also higher in terms of expectation, which is kind of cool. And so with that, we found a group, maybe we're hiring them in mass, whatever it ends up being for our goals, onboarding. I imagine Snowflake's ramp is not 11 to 12 months uh, for an SDR. You know, maybe like in a Xerox, it wasn't your ramp necessarily, but it was kind of your, your journey. Like, what does that look like to get someone up to date? You've set the expectation that you're here for mentorship. You're here to help them, all this other stuff. They've now taken the role day one through how many days and what's, what's involved in those days? Well, the timing of the question is incredible because just a month or two ago, we announced the Snowflake Sales Development Academy. And what we've done is we've branded the onboarding experience. Um, I absolutely want the world to know that if you decide to take a chance on us and you want to start your career or change your career and become a SDR for Snowflake, that I am going to develop you. If you look at your average technology company, certainly startup, when you get onboarded, you typically get thrown into a class of AEs, SEs, customer success, marketing, God knows who they'll put you in, but it'll be some product training, some company culture training. And then a lot of the specific role 
uh, onboarding enablement is done by the, the manager, the hiring manager. Um, and again, more and more gets dumped on the frontline SDR leader. You know, uh, not only do they have to find them and screen them and interview them and hire them, uh, but then they have to coach them and enable them and teach them how to do all these things. And, you know, performance management can throw all manner of emotional. So what we've done is we have taken operations, enablement and training off of the shoulders of the frontline SDR leaders. And we've purpose built an organization called SDR Ops and Enablement. Okay. And they are responsible for selection of all the tools and technologies that we put in the hands of the SDR, um, all the best practices training, all the playbooks that we have, have created that uh, will guide them to account-based marketing and sales development principles, yep. retraining. The first 30 days when you become a Snowflake SDR, you are put through uh, an onboarding experience that is, again, it's four full weeks. You don't have uh, a quota to do anything other than sit there, read, listen, learn, a um, lot of challenges. We have external uh, professionals, cold call trainers, people that help them understand how to write a really well executed and personalized email touch pattern campaign that might include, you know, 13 calls, seven emails, uh, a Sendoso send, uh, and maybe a LinkedIn touch or like or outreach. Um, so that uh, they're branding not just themselves, but are messaging our content and our brand to the persona uh, that they're you know, trying to get to say yes to a 25-minute meeting one, two, three days down the road. Um, so again, it's a 30-day purpose-built program. When they're done with that, they become an SDR. They go into their patch, so to speak. They carry uh, three to four AEs, account executives. After that four weeks. After that four weeks. and they Really? Are, yeah. And uh, they are setting up one-on-ones with them. They're getting to know the list of accounts that their AEs care about. And for the next 15 to 18 months, they are now executing on their role. And as they go through that next 12, 15 to 18 months, they're picking up experience. They're either performant or not. Um, and they're learning the role and they're interacting with uh, not just one, but up to four AEs. And oftentimes in their tenure, they'll have exposure to anywhere from five to 10 account executives and they'll begin to understand what it takes. And then the last three uh, months of the onboarding experience in Snowflake SDR land is a program we call Snow, Snowbound. And it's uh, jointly delivered, but executed by our corporate account executive team or quota carrying inside sales team. Um, and the, this is an organization that's 150 plus at Snowflake. And this is the career path that an SDR will take. SDR for 18 months, and then uh, they get an opportunity to interview for uh, a corporate account executive. And that's the career path. Interesting. Can they stay on beyond the 18 months as an SDR or is it kind of like an up and out no, type situation? No, absolutely. And we, ab- we absolutely- I know most will want to. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and we've also, in order to create, not stickiness per se, but loyalty, we have a role called the senior SDR. There are some areas of the world and in some teams where we're at scale, where getting that next job is competitive and they may not get it in the first go around, but uh, they can ascend to a senior SDR get a bump in title, get a bump in comp, maybe get an, a slight equity uh, a grant, um, and continue that role for finding their skills. 
But I would say 80% of our SDRs, so we graduate anywhere from 20 to 30 SDRs a quarter into other roles, 80% of them into this corporate account executive. But we have SDRs that are cross-pollinating into partner account management roles. Because they know the product, they know the customer. Um, They're going into sales engineering. We have a sales engineering uh, onboarding, enablement, and training for people that are more technically minded, that have fallen in love with the product. Uh, We have them going into field marketing, account-based marketing roles. And, you know, when you spend 18 months at Snowflake and you're enamored and fall in love with our culture, we have an executive team that is just... You know, bonkers we're, we're bonkers. is the right word. We are yeah. led. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people that have been mentored, coached, and, and told, look for the executive leadership team. What are they made up of? Do you think they can take you to the next level? And we both know that, you know, Frank and Mike and Chris and Denise at Snowflake have combined to create this trajectory that no one has ever seen before. I'd love to ask about that actually in a second, but let's go back to onboarding for a second. That's a lot. That was all gold. Those four weeks, I imagine it's not, here's how to do a cold call, right? Because I'm sure there's other people listening who are like, yeah, we have a cold call training or something like that. It sounds like there's training of the functions, product, et cetera. Do you do testing? Do you do like, you got to do 10 reps with your peers, you know, before the end of the day? Like, how do you, how do you ensure this isn't just like, a little bit of death by PowerPoint and those four weeks get kind of get wasted. And then the fifth week is when they really learn because they're finally actually doing it. Yeah, we have uh, instructors in-house, but we also have contracted and you talked about cold calling. So Josh Braun is one of the okay. best cold call trainers in the world. He is leading that part of our onboarding training. So every month. It's really we, cool. You guys went out and you're like, absolutely. we don't need to be the number one. We can find the number we'll one find and the have number them train. So yeah, we great. have uh, contracted with external professionals that do this for a living. And so Josh Braun is our cold call expert. And the reason he's on board is because I went, he did one like six months ago. And he was calling people to task and putting them on, the, on live calls. And we were going through together. And again, it's one of the most scariest things to do is to... You know, you hear the ring going and then and, and then you get a connect and you have. So we get through all that together and they have to do tons of mock calls um, and some in real life cold calls with prospects. And, you know, the technological aspect of this, we're so lucky to have services and data providers like Zoom Info and Lucia and LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So finding the targets has never been easier. And then we have providers like Bombora and Sixth Sense that are providing intent and giving us signals where people might be clicking and reading about the data cloud and uh, cloud data storage. And uh, so we get these inputs and these help us uh, direct uh, our energy effort. And we absolutely have an account-based revenue strategy that uh, focuses not just marketing, not just sales, but the BDR, the AE, and everyone on accounts that are surging that are in our target addressable market. We have solved this data cloud problem for a lot of very big companies. We know, we have done deals, we know who the personas are that bubble up in the beginning of a sales cycle, the ones that come in towards the middle, and those personas that we deal with towards the end of a sales cycle. And so we orient much of our outreach to the people that would care about listening to the Snowflake story in the beginning. So we're not necessarily... Um, now, we'll brand our content and our messaging to those people in our account-based 
marketing approach so that when it's time and they get flagged by someone, uh, an internal champion, um, to talk about Snowflake, they know who we are and they've heard, maybe seen, and they're not, they're warmed up, if you will. That's cool. So day four weeks in a day, I have a quota, it sounds like. They're so fired up to get, they want to, they, they want to start ripping dials and getting so my quota, outreach emails out. Is it, am I right at full quota? Do I get a quarter of like half quota? Like no, how do you guys do it? We ramp. You just go. So month oh, you one, do no, no, no. Okay. Month one, month two, our ramp. Month three. And are you quoting pipeline ops? What, how so do you call? So it's a great question. Yeah. And it's a very highly emotionally discussed topic. Uh, <laughs> In I won't argue land. with you. SDR I just want to know what you do. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Again, I think you always want to quota and commission someone, someone on what they can control. And I've been doing this for a long time. And the only thing that I can, I can control quality and quantity of dials and emails. But the only thing that shows up that an account executive is going to accept is the meeting that gets set up and that it executes. So I pay for a meeting schedule that executes. Um, and that's how they get paid. A lot of other companies will say, well, God, we want to see that opportunity progress and go into the pipeline and have money attached to it. I can tell you that nine times out of 10, when you cold call someone, all you're trying to do, we're trying to brand who we are, what we do, and understand some pain so that we can hook and trigger uh, a conversation and, and carry it forward. And that's, and that's the AE's job. When you're selling time too, you're selling 25 minutes. You're not selling by Snowflake as a SDR. I'm, I'm going to use that. Yeah, you should. Um, no, and and, and uh, so, but again, some of the best meetings are we get a hold of the right person at the right company. It's just the wrong time. We just installed AWS. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, we're done. We're a small company, but you know what? We'll uh, talk in nine months. Yeah. yeah. And then they come back and another SDR gets to crash. Well, and, <laughs> but now we can update systems and process sure, and now sure. we don't have to email them to death. Yeah. But did you hear about Snow? You know, can I just ask you a few more questions? Sure, sure. Why did you go with? And so, you know, the SDRs are trained to extract as much information as they can. There's value there. Yeah. And in fact, there's sometimes more value in the call that didn't become a $20,000 opportunity the next day. Um, and so pay your SDR for the work. It might have taken them three months to get that call. Well, you can also up, like, this is the thing I've always struggled with, right? Like, so we have a concept of an op, right? And an op is, like, the only thing different than the call is, like, it's executed and there's a motion forward, right? The falloff rate is 10% because we do the qualification up front. And it's like, but that 10% probably costs us a lot of enthusiasm because the person did the work. We could just up the calls by 10% for a quota and kind of get the same thing. Like you still need a quality metric, but yeah, it's interesting you say that. But you bring, so this handoff, like that is probably one of the trickiest procedural, uh, and it, I don't care what company you're at, if you have an SDR motion that uh, requires your SDR to come up with a meeting and you hand it off, Right. We, when that meeting executes, we want a feedback mechanism. You did not put it into the next stage and into your forecast. Okay, that's fine, but why not? Give your SDR the, the respect and, and the benefit of helping them understand the why and, and giving some, give them some coaching. As you would imagine, some reps are like, I'm just not ready to put it in. I don't know that I want to show this. And they'll just hold on to it and they'll leave it in that stage. And so, 
for the audience that is 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 understanding this part of it, you have got to put in closed loop measures and mechanisms to make sure that there are triggers and alerts and reporting so that a meeting that gets served up as an opportunity either has to move forward or move back. It can't stay in the SQL if that's what you've branded that stage. It's either got to go back to remarket, which is what we use at Snowflake, or it's got to go into a sales qualified opportunity within three days of the meeting executing. So anyway, we're getting way into the the weeds here, but this is... This is one of the, probably one of the areas where if you don't get this right, either sales reps will say that, yeah, I don't get much good from them. Well, you know what? We've been providing all this and we've got, we've not gotten any feedback from you. So if you do this part right, you up-level both sides of the organization and SDRs get better, AEs get better, and we don't waste time. So I'm comped off of essentially calls. It's a meetings, little modified. Meetings, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, meetings uh, that an AE takes executes. executes yep. Yeah. Okay. Day to day, I'm an SDR. Are you tracking activity levels? Are you? I, I guess I've, I got two questions. One, like, what are you tracking me on a daily basis, if anything, right? Or is it just how many calls you got? And then two, a little bit of a divergent question, but I think they're all related. You give me a bunch of data sources, and I go find the right companies. Do you plop? hundred accounts in front of me and that's that's I got blinders on I can only work those accounts and then the flip side of that is once I have those accounts so a third question do you have a central cadence that I follow do I set up my own cadences is it that and then once it's out of that cadence I can do whatever I want like tell me tell me the motion yeah here, so yeah. Uh, the most important thing is to get uh, the connection between the SDR and the account executive that's super important and we do a lot to make sure that the SDR, the newly onboarded SDR gets uh, connected. And the three SDRs, let's say that they're overlaid to, right? Um, we have this notion of green, yellow, red tiles. So there might be an account executive that says, listen, these are my, out of my 20 accounts, I have three customers. If you get any inbound leads from any of those, I don't want you to follow up. I have the relationship. So you don't have to do any outbound or do any follow up on any inbound in these three accounts. Um, these nine uh, accounts that are active in flight, three of them I'm all over and I don't need your involvement. But these other six, I'm right at the beginning and I need to multi-thread. So let's you and I work on a plan to have you call into these divisions or these subsidiaries um, so that we can, you know. Combine and conquer. Yeah, yeah, combine and conquer. Yeah, yeah. And then these eight other accounts, Greenfield, I've never touched them. Go crazy, go outbound, do all the things that you do that I know you're good at, which is sequencing, uh, account-based sales development, outreach. So now we get to the part about the writing of the emails. and So those that's my account scope. We're talking single digits in each of those categories. Well, again, we have three segments. We have enterprise, we have corporate account executives. I'd say those uh, AEs manage territories of 100 or more, probably 100 to 200 accounts. Our enterprise account executives, I would say, handle anywhere from 10 to 35 accounts. And then we have verticalized strategic account reps that manage anywhere from one to maybe five with an average of two or three accounts and that's it. So I'm an SDR, I'm supporting three to four AEs. To answer part of my question, it's like, I'm being, as an SDR, essentially assigned accounts. 
that are labeled by my AEs. Correct. So there's three AEs, let's say, in the 100 to 200 situation. I might have, I don't know, given your proportions, 300 accounts that I'm technically going after. Up top, I might be going after 10, right? I would say that in the average SDR operation, having hundreds of accounts as an SDR to manage and sift through is very normal. The more you can do as a manager to narrow that focus um, and like, let's focus on 100 this month and then let's cycle out those 100 and work a new 100. If it's pure cold outbound, and again, Snowflake, we've been around for 10 years. So you got a lot of inbound, yeah. Well, we also have a lot of familiarity. These accounts have been covered by reps for years. And an SDR can go into an instance of Salesforce and see wow, look at all the activity. People have been calling into this account for six years. Now, if you post up at a Series B company that you know has 17 customers and 100 active prospects, but their TAM is another 3,000 accounts, sure. you've got, you know, SDRs are, you're kind of using all the technology uh, to account base your way to try to get people to raise their hands and say, yeah, I'll take that meeting. So just just so I understand, can I go as an SDR? Like I saw this company in a newscast. Can I go after that person? Or it's like, I'm, I'm scoped to whatever my team has. Basically, Yeah. You, uh, you have a a account execs that are assigned to you. They have their accounts. Now, if you see an ad or you're go home and you tell your parents, you just got a job at Snowflake and you're at a family gathering and uncle aunt June is VP uh, of whatever. Um, then they're going to get Ann June to take a meeting and they're going to hand that off to one of their to whoever. SDR yeah, yeah. counterparts. That's just part of the game. Part of the team. Game. team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have, and does the ops and enablement team filter and assign those accounts or is that like a, another RevOps team or something like we that? We have a completely separate global revenue operations team that is segmenting and aligning and creating territories. And, you know, I think we have over 12, we probably have close to 1,500 quota carrying account executives of the three different varieties, um, over a thousand for sure. And then, you know, you, you know, sales engineers and solution architects. So there's a lot of orchestration. The one thing that we're very, very careful about is as an SDR, if you're in a greenfield patch, just make sure that your AE and marketing knows. So we all have to be aware of when we're doing cold outreach that someone else hasn't done that. Um, and so understanding how to go into systems and understand what has happened before, because that informs on the context so that when you do get someone to pick up, that SDR can say, hey, you know, Johnny, I know that six months ago, my former colleague, Jason, had a meeting with you and it looks like these two others. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I'm here to, you know, there's context because that is an icebreaker in itself. Sure, sure, sure. So going to like cadences and such, Who's setting those up? They've obviously had a ton of training. Do they have to create their own cadences? Do they start taking from a central batch and then start versioning that for themselves? So we like, have a content committee. And when we're going after, let's say we're going after a new vertical, yep. we want to write the copy uh, that is using language for that vertical, sure. right? There's nomenclature. Yep. If we're going for a senior level versus a mid-level versus a low level, you change it up. So we have people from product marketing, we have, we might pull in sales engineers. Um, we have people uh, on marketing and sales that are scripting these. And we have what's called a hall of fame uh, at Snowflake. So if you want to see what 
a four email sequence into a C-level executive in the healthcare vertical that had a 30% open rate, uh, touch rate, reply rate, then go here. And they can see and go, oh my God, this is like killer. And they're going to take that and then customize it for their scenario. So they have a place to go to see what really good looks like. With numbers. Yeah. Absolutely. So because you let someone who's onboarded and newly trained just write their own sequences. I mean, sentence error structure. Uh, you know, there's all manner of things that this could go wrong. This is too formal, right. be more conversational, yeah. And I'm sure there's a feedback loop with their AEs of like, because their AEs were in that position at some point and they're helping Well, them an out. instance yeah. of outreach, an instance in sales engagement, I mean, we have over 200 SCRs. Yeah. If we were letting them do all their own sequences, um, we would it would become unmanageable. And so I absolutely, when you... When your team gets any sort of scale and you've had success in A-B split testing your sequences, and the biggest thing is the subject line. I mean, that's, good. that's the one thing that everyone wants to know because if they don't open your email, they don't even read the first sentence uh, or the hook. And so we do a lot of A-B split testing on subject lines, try to personalize those and grab the attention. And then you just have to be relevant. Sure. You and I both get these emails every single day as you personalize to to, to their career, you know, the days of, uh, hey, Lars, go gauchos, because they know I have 16 gaucho mugs uh, because I've been sent them in, you know, in order to get me like that's been done. Uh, take your time. And if you're going for a high value target, um, I once got a complete life size Louisville Slugger baseball bat sent to me. And I didn't know who it came from. But the next day, I got a video of an S, which I opened. And I'm like, hey, Lars, did you get the baseball bat I sent yesterday? And it was orchestrated. And then what they said was, listen, I looked at the speech you delivered for the True Ventures, um, something that I did three years earlier, where I talked about throwing batting practice for my daughter's Little League team in Alameda in, you know, three years earlier. And what they said was, hey, Lars, I'm, you know, John from, and it was a rev tech company. Yep. I was a legitimate target yep. and I was blown away and I called them back. I called them back and yeah. said, I really appreciate the time and attention you took. I'm going to give you that call because I'm curious now. Yeah. And so you can use, right, innovative, creative, yeah. and it's not just ripping hundred dials a day yeah. and sending email after email. Right. Sending platforms have become a legitimate channel going into and researching uh, on LinkedIn and uh, other places where you can find out about what they care about and tie that into your value proposition um, is something that's the art of the uh, with all the science we have. There is an art and I think it's personalization and kind of getting to the human element of why I'm reaching out. Um, And that comes through in copy. And it comes through in voice messages you leave that you can, you know, brand based on the, you know, tie it back to the email you just left. That's cool. I want to tell you something we do. I want you to tell me if it's terrible or not. So and I'll say profit well, just in case, you know, because Paddle's the, the, the current entity. What we figured out was... It was hard, and we didn't have a program, obviously, like you guys have, but it was hard to kind of teach a kid out of school, which was, you know, a lot of the folks we were hiring, to, like, talk to a VP of whatever at, you know, a tech company, right? 
And so we put together these centralized cadences, kind of like our hall of fame based on um, vertical and then persona, essentially. And persona was mostly segment, like lower segment, less actual people roles. And what we did is it was kind of like version control, like GitHub. We basically said, we called it the beat the Vic system because Vic was the growth marketer who was like managing all the like copy and stuff. And it was basically like, use the cadence, you know, fill it. If you feel like you can, you know, beat, beat the Vic system, we'll branch it off. You'll run your tests in kind of like a structured way. And if you win, you get a spiff and we'll merge it into the, the, the system for everybody else. And this was, a, this was kind of like the central. So they were allowed to like, you know, you've been talking to someone, close loss, you want to get creative, send a baseball bat, et cetera. Like if they could do all that around it. But what do you think of that like concept? So again, providing structure for newly onboarded SDRs out of the gate is important. But as they begin to come into their own, we want them to try new things. And we have this thing called you're cleared for takeoff. And it's usually takes, you know, like a quarter. And what they'll do is their manager will say, okay, write your own cadence, write your own sequence and show us in the touch pattern how many there are. Because again, depending on if you're using uh, sending, platform, email, uh, phone, and uh, maybe you're deliberately doing a, a social touch point, Twitter or, or LinkedIn, show us your maturity and show us the copy and show us the script of the email, of the voicemail you plan, because, you know, 19 out of 20 times. And then if it's just legit, sentence structure, no misspellings, it's like you're clear for takeoff. Well, that's what we would we'd always say, like, hey, listen, you're, you're comped on ops. So, like, however you want to get up the mountain, like, you, you have sole responsibility. Like, these have been proven to work. And that was for the early folks. I think the, the more senior reps would start to, like, you know, because they know the system. They, they kind of go the path of least resistance, not in a bad way, but they're like, I'm going to go after these closed loss. I'm going to do this. And we didn't have the AE structure like you did. We did more round robin in, that, in those days. But that's cool. And I guess to kind of maybe round this out, so we've onboarded, we've got them moving, we got a bunch of resources, like all the tool stack, that type of a thing. We have a progression, career progression, you know, they aren't asking if they can be promoted every month because they know the career progression, right? I guess like, what are some of the other parts we're missing? Like, I know there's probably an entire hour we can talk about the ops and enablement team, but like, what are maybe some of the bullets that we didn't talk about that like people miss or even if they don't miss, like you're like, this was really helpful to like make sure our teams are running yeah i well there's the uh, the mental health aspect the are you good with yourself can you show up and be productive like what's happened in the last three years has thrown everyone off and a lot of the people that i'm hiring right a lot of them had their university careers just upended right and again we didn't circle on how do i manage and with metrics you can tell pretty quickly when someone has fallen off, um, whether it's the quality of work, it's the amount of work, it's the like, if someone's ripping a couple hundred dollars a day and they've been doing that for months and they've been bouncing from 110 to 130 to 115, all of a sudden they're now at 40. Yeah. Sums up. Sums up. Um, and just, you know, as a manager to be on the lookout make sure they understand the resources that are available. And again, at Snowflake, we're a public company. We have unbelievable resources for people to go and talk and, and sort through things um, if they need, you know, additional. I think this is a, this is a really important point, though, because you, we, we glossed over it in the beginning because we were, like, building up to this. But basically, when SDR managers 
are focused on people, that's, that's where you're going to get the best out of them. And a lot of SDR managers, if they have to be focused on like the people who are really good at ops enablement from an SDR manager's perspective, they may not be that great at the management side of it anyways, because it's two very different skill sets. And I was just, do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, that- I, I do. And again, I just had a, I just brought my managers in last week, all of them to do a training, not only put leaders in front of them so they can see what that looks like, but we brought in a health professional from Lyra and uh, we brought in people from our HR team uh, to talk about performance management and and how to deliver feedback. Um, all of the kind of softer EQ type skills that younger in their career managers slash leaders don't have as much experience with. And I do believe that taking as much off of the shoulders of a frontline SDR leader, and again, the onboarding enablement and training is a very big piece. So right now I have a 19 frontline SDR managers that have been given resources and reading to bone up on how to performance manage, on how to deliver feedback, you know, kind of the radical candor type thing. Um, and, you know, delivering critical feedback is, I still struggle with it. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. And again, you know, uh, what do you do when you realize you made a bad hire? They might be an unbelievable performer, but the toxicity around the water cooler talk is getting everyone. I mean, there's a lot of soft EQ type things that really come with time. But we're at the size and the scale where I can bring in my leadership team and and educate them and inspire them and teach them uh, these kinds of skills. But, you know, we're here at Saster, the land of many young startups. Um, And so but you can't forget about this piece. And my eyebrows have been raised uh, quite a bit. We've had people that you know, just couldn't take being alone in a, in a new city and they needed to go back home and be, you know, with their family. Um, and that's, you know, good for them for understanding that, whether it was a level of anxiety or um, they're just, uh, you know, not comfortable and confident and, and it's just not their time to go off. So, you know, and that's also very difficult. We hire a lot of people that will move from where they graduated from to one of the four cities that we have in the United States um, we have returned back to the office of Snowflake. We are not all remote. Feels like a good Frank move right there. That's a classic Frank, it seems like. Yeah, and, cool. you know, we have, uh, I walked here from our office. Our office oh, cool. is actually one and a half block down that way. On that's Concord. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is great, man. I learned a ton. We're way over. So yeah. I just wanted, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be respectful, oh, but this was, this was awesome. I learned a ton. A huge shout out to Lars for doing the podcast. Now you know all about sales development. Today, we talked about zeroing in on sales roles, hiring someone with a fire in their belly, SDR training, enablement, and progression, setting up sales opportunities for success, and the value of compassionate leadership. If you want to support Paddle and the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle.